So in honor of the Festival of Purim coming up this week, as I believe you've heard, I have to share with you one absolutely true story that happened years ago, not so many years ago, but years ago in a tiny synagogue in Portsmouth, Ohio. It was one of these very small Midwestern towns, very tiny synagogues. I was the student rabbi there one year in rabbinical college, but this happened to someone, a couple rabbis before me, Rabbi Aryeh Azrael. He'd go once a month and lead a Friday, Friday night service for this little tiny group of Jews and celebrate the holidays, and Purim came around. And they all got dressed up in costumes, and Rabbi Azrael decided to dress in full. He was, a, he was the devil. He dressed as the devil. They came to the synagogue. They had a big party. It was a little bit raucous. There was a little bit of drinking. There was a lot of Megillah reading. Everybody's in costume. And as occasionally happens in synagogues, one, one person maybe uh, partied a little too hard and passed out. And they called 911 right away. And the EMS came rushing into the synagogue. And most all of the people in the emergency and the ambulance had never been in a temple before. <laughs> they didn't know anybody who was Jewish. They wondered what Jews always do inside of their temple. And they were just perplexed when they came in. And every, it's not Halloween, and everyone's in costume, and there's all this stuff going on. And the head of the EMS, he shouts, who is in charge here? <laughs> and up steps a very sheepish Rabbi Arye Azrael in full devil costume, <laughs> admitting that he is in charge here. Fortunately, the congregant recovered, but I, I like to think about that poor moment and just the, the imagine it taking place. I, I could tell that story over and over. The image of, of a rabbi in small town America dressed as the devil. It makes for a ridiculous story. In certain ways, the Purim story itself is also ridiculous. An idiot king, a dumb pretext to get rid of the old queen, numerous ironic twists, a beauty pageant. It's really a fun, ridiculous, whimsical story. Yet there is content in this silly story that makes us think, makes us even think about the purpose of our own lives. In chapter four, and I realize some people just know the Megillah back and forth and some don't, don't, have no idea what a Megillah is and what I'm talking about, but basically there's a queen, Esther, she's inside the castle. There's a cousin or an uncle, we're not sure, Mordecai, he's outside the castle. And rather than just a face-to-face -face conversation, this part of the Megillah takes place all via messenger. So you can think of it, this story as sort of a precursor to IMing, um, but really it's the messenger style that conveys to us that there is indeed a message. So Esther's servant is Hatach, and Hatach goes to Mordechai outside the castle. Mordechai sends him back to Esther with a message that Haman has written a proclamation for the destruction of all the Jews. Mordechai begs Hatach to go to Esther with the message that she must go to King Ahasuerus to plead with him for the life of her people. She must save her people. 
Esther sends Hatach back to Mordechai and calmly explains in her message, well, we all know that if anyone goes to the king without being summoned by the king, that person will be put to death. So that's not happening, she messages him. And if the story ended right there, we might not be telling it right now. So Mordechai sends his final message to Esther. And we call it Megillat Esther because it's, it, we read it from a scroll and we open up the scroll and read it. But act, when actually the book of Esther is just in the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh. It's one of the, one of the stories in the Tanakh. And in it, in chapter four, Mordechai messages Esther with these words. He says, do not imagine that you, of all the Jews, will escape with your life by being in the king's palace. On the contrary, if you keep silent in this crisis, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from another quarter, while you and your father's house will perish. And then Mordechai adds this one extraordinary line to his message. He concludes to her by saying, and who knows, perhaps you have attained the royal, to this royal position for just such a crisis. This message, maybe you're there for a reason is a message of transmitted heritage that tells us something about how we, as Jews, and as a Jewish people, process and look for meaning in our own lives. Think about the privileges most of us enjoy. We live right here in this beautiful corner of the United States, or you get to visit it anyway. Not all, but many of us have a job some level of financial security, a place to live, a warm place to sleep at night, food, and comforts. Just as Esther was comfortable, the queen, we too, most of us, are either comfortable, pretty comfortable, or very comfortable. One thing this story does is remind us of the downside of getting too comfortable. Achieving a life of comfort is great. We want that for every person. But if we're not careful, our level of comfort can disconnect us from everyone else who lacks basic security. We find ourselves in a cushy bubble and we lack the awareness, the desire, and the will to advocate for the safety and comfort of others. What Judaism pushes us to do, and what this story really asks us to figure out at the core, is what meaning is there to be had in life beyond seeking a more comfortable existence? What can we do to use our own position, whatever it is, to make things better for someone else? Who knows, Mordechai asks. And it's a good thought for each of us on this Shabbat, the Shabbat Zahor, leading into Purim. All around the world, locally and far away, millions of people live every day with war, terror, violence, 
vulnerability, privation. And most of us, most of us in our daily lives have been spared that. And so we ask, who knows? From a position of comfort, we can afford to share regularly and generously with many who lack the basics that we take for granted. It's much easier to advocate for housing solutions when we ourselves have a house or rent an apartment. In a relatively peaceful place like the Bay Area, it's easier for us to be advocates of peace among the nations. In our warm, welcoming, and egalitarian synagogue, we can not only step outside these comfortable walls to make things better locally right around us, we can also support pluralism in Israel, security for the state of Israel, and lasting peace for all Palestinians and Israelis. There's so much for us to do, but there are so many of us. We need literacy tutors at the Third Baptist Church Back on Track initiative. We need advocates in Sacramento changing the laws to make it safer for everyone and funding to do our social justice work, and bins filled with warm coats and food for the San Francisco Food Bank. Who knows? Maybe we have each attained this beautiful, relatively peaceful, relatively comfortable life for just such a reason. Joseph in the Torah, who started and ran a local food bank back in his day, when his starving brothers came to use the food bank and realized that this was their brother whom they had first tried to kill and then sold into slavery, Joseph comforts them by saying, there's a reason for all of this. It was to save life that God sent me ahead of you. And in the moment of great danger to the Jewish people, Mordechai says to Esther, who knows? Maybe you're in this position for a reason. In life's ridiculous stories, Judaism's core message reminds us that there are moments every day when we can push past our comfort in order to see the person who is suffering or the law that needs changing or the injustice that needs to be corrected or the opportunity for our synagogue to save lives. And we each say to our own selves, who knows? May the message of the Megillah prompt us to push past the passivity that a comfortable life can engender so that we can all, individually and collectively, and as a synagogue, act for the good. Amen.